podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey gang, quick bit of housekeeping for you before we start the show. And this is only relevant to those of you who listen to us on the Apple Podcast app or via Apple. So if you don't move along, as the great Obi-Wan Kenobi would say, nothing to see here. But if you do listen to us via Apple Listen carefully, particularly if you're an old school listener of the show. Before we became the Nat Coombe show on ESPN, when we were the NFL show, you would have got the show updated when we moved without having to do a thing. But that's because the old show had a divert put on it. So to check, you'll subscribe to the new feed because the old one is going to go pretty soon. Check out the Nat Coombe show. Search for it on the app via the podcast browse section or the store section if you're looking on the desktop and find our show and see if it shows whether you're subscribed or not. If you are, great, you're on the right feed. If you're not, hit subscribe and delete the old one. So head on over, not in your library, but actually onto Apple. Search the Nat Coombe Show. Make sure you're subscribed to the feed that you find. Simple. Good luck. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show on ESPN. Really looking forward to catching up with Neil Reynolds because, of course, we'll talk... uh, some current football, but the chat is more about Neil, him falling in love with the game, his career to date, and a few other details as well. It's worth pointing out that we recorded this at the end of April, but we're dropping it slightly after that. So if some massive story is broken, and you think it's weird that Neil and I are not talking about it, that is why. All right, this was recorded at the end of April, coming out soon after, but maybe not. Uh, maybe missing one or two big things. So if uh, Belichick has left the Patriots and we didn't talk about it, now you know why. So really looking forward to catching up with Neil and lots of pods coming your way over May. Keep your eyes and ears peeled to the uh, channel. And if you haven't already subscribed and you won't miss a trick, let's get straight down to it then and check in with the great Neil Reynolds. Neil, great to, great to have you on uh, in incredibly strange, strange times, of course, but, but Good times for you because straight off the bat, let's get down to business in the Neil Reynolds podcast fly. Tell us all about that. Yeah, no, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying doing that. You're right. It's strange times. So everyone's trying to keep background, background noise to a minimum. I can tell you, I've got one dog out in the back garden uh, trying <laughs> to come in. I've got one really lazy dog about six foot from me who is snoring like a train. So if you hear that, <laughs> I apologize. Uh, in advance, but yeah, we mustn't get them time. together with Rufus, Mike Carlson's dog, because that could be very messy. Because I'm guessing your two uh, 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 Dolphins fans, obviously, that your two dogs. What are your dogs' names? Uh, my dogs are Rosie, is a chocolate Rosie. lab, and Harper is a red lab. Oh, so, uh, Harper, I love it. Great name. Uh, are they uh, presumably they're Finns fans? They have to be team Finns. They, fans, ha- so. they are. And we've already decided as well because we kind of like uh, get out in the garden and we throw American footballs around, of course, and. Um, Rosie's a bit chunky. She's a chocolate lab. So we reckon Rosie's a linebacker, like a sort nice. of downhill thumper type. A thumper, yes. Harper's like this ball of annoying energy. So she's a cornerback because she kind of follows you. <laughs> We've already got it all planned and out. Mouthy. I love way it. off topic already, I know. Uh, um, that, as is often the way with us, yeah. yeah so, no, uh, the Neil Reynolds podcast, let's get, get back to that. So I'm actually, you and I are recording this as, as so many, so many people are doing uh, with their work at the moment via Zoom so we can see each other and I can see in the, the the Reynolds merch wall, which has Neil Reynolds podcast merch already minted. That looks like some kind of hoodie, is it? Or a, or that, a, is a that is a t-shirt. Yes. That Smart. is a t-shirt. So, um, yeah, no, the podcast has been really fun. And, and the idea was, you know, there is so, I think it's a great podcast community that we've got now. And, and yourself, uh, myself and Jeff Reinbold on Inside the Huddle, we all kind of react to those, uh, those news stories and the news of the day. So I don't want to do, mm. 
the same because I already do that with Jeff. You already do that. So many people already do that. So, mm-hmm. so I just decided to just tell stories and not, not really get headlines. I'm not looking to break news. I'm not looking to kind of create drama. I just want people to be able to tell their football story. So, um, yeah, I decided to start with a, um, you know, a bit of a bang and went out to, uh, Florida, uh, just before everything kind of shut down and yeah, good timing. Yeah. Just reached out to Fitz and said, uh, can I come and do an interview? And he was like, well, don't just do an interview. Let's go fishing. And I'd never fished in my life. So <laughs> yeah, so that was a lot of fun. Then did Bruce Arians, Peter King uh, yeah. was episode three. So yeah, I got some big names lined up and I, I think just having I mean, extended chats with people, uh, who I kind of have good contacts with. Um, just let them tell their stories, just do something different. I, I love that. I think it's a great idea. And as you say, you've already had some fantastic guests on it. And yeah, there is, uh, there is absolutely, you know, the more the merrier really in, in, in that respect. And in terms of loads of us professionally, personally have a collection of pods that we go to for different reasons and different moods. And I think it, I think it nails that. And uh, I love the format particularly. It got me thinking um, because Obviously, I'm not going to plagiarize the idea, but I do like the concept of having a, a similar thing, like an in-depth chat, uh, one-on-one, but with the bad boys of the NFL. So I'm thinking I might launch my own one with, with you know, Vontaze Perfect, Fred Smoot. <laughs> what do you think? Just it probably quite a short series, maybe five, five or six before we get taken. Yeah, I mean, good luck getting that access. Um, yeah. <laughs> at some point along the way, one of them is going to hit you. Yeah, um, <laughs> inevitably. I'm pretty sure you'll triple my numbers because that's what we really <laughs> want to hear about. <laughs> I'm going to work on that idea. Um, well, listen, congrats with it. And uh, the Neil Reynolds podcast, you can find that obviously on all good pod catches. We're not going to do something wildly dissimilar to that show actually today. I, I thought we, it's a lot of you and I have both put out shows and written about the draft, uh, lots of pods and, and writing over the last couple of weeks and, and free agency, everything else. So we want to, I want to spend time talking to you and I remember you came into the ESPN studio last season and we kind of did a bit of a hybrid show where we had a lot of business to cover and we were previewing I think the weekend and getting your take on that but we kept deviating off down <laughs> down different roads and I thought let's do a bit more of that I want to I want to do a bit more of that because we've known each other for a long time our listeners of course have followed you for a very long time and uh, as we we touched on in in that episode maybe you don't get enough time to talk about you. So that's what I want to do a little bit more on, <laughs> on this show. So let's start right at the very beginning. When did you first fall in love with the NFL? Were you, uh, you were, you were a youngin, but how, uh, how, when did you first, do you remember the, the first time you, you saw the NFL? You first time you discovered yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I was like, I think I was about 11 or 12 years old. I think, I think it was, uh, again, like a lot of people at that time, the channel four era moving, yeah. uh, you know, through that, that highlight show. Um, were you always Team Luckhurst? Was he always your favourite? So that was uh, see, I did like Mick Luckhurst. Mm. Yeah, I did, and and I think that's that and Gary Imlach are the ones I kind of really uh, yeah. really resonate uh, with me. But I, I think I was, so. I remember watching or being on in the background, and my mm. dad watching it. My dad was a big Forty ers fan. He loved Joe Montana, and I just didn't get it. And I was like laying on the floor playing with my Star Wars figures. I mean, yeah. to be fair, I put him when I was 18 as well, but that's a It's important you have any of your Star Wars figures up behind you on the work, the red Have happen. a little Bob effect. Sneak Bob effect in the corner. <laughs> yeah, this isn't finished yet. Uh, that's going to happen. Um, Who's your so favourite Star Wars character? My favourite Star Wars character. Yeah. Uh, you, had or were you, 
You're chewy. Ah, yeah, that makes sense. I can see you as, yeah. Too we chewy. went to Florida a couple of years ago and uh, we queued up and met Chewy and my kids were just laughing because I was nearly crying. Ah, oh, <laughs> Chewy's just, he's always got your back. I love that. That's a good choice. I'm uh, definitely R2-D2. <laughs> I'm team R2 all the, all the way. Do you think anyone's ever been C-3PO? No. Never. <laughs> Never. <laughs> um, so my dad was watching it. I'm just... I just don't get it. I was like, I don't get this sport. They're just crashing into the line. And it was a Dan Marino moment. So it was 83 season. One of the highlights they showed was uh, the Dolphins playing the Raiders. And Marino came off the bench. And, and I wasn't really into American football then, but I was into sports. And I love sports mm. drama and people commentating on sports. Mm. And these commentators were going crazy about this curly-haired rookie who'd come off the bench. Um so I just started watching, and after that, I'd sit and watch it every week. And so by the 84 season and 85, I was, like, really, really into it. And obviously, the Dolphins were doing really well then. I got to the Super Bowl in the 84 season. I thought, this is this is what it's always going to be like. It's going to be Super Bowls all over the place. Um, so really, yeah, that's how I got into it with the Channel 4 stuff, through my, through my dad watching. Um, and, uh, yeah, just became more and more into it by the – by the sort of late 80s, um, you know, I knew all the names, all the numbers, all the stats. My, my dad was, um, you know, kind of telling me off and not studying for my GCSEs and knowing, he said, if, if you know more, you knew as much or put as much effort into your schoolwork uh, as you do NFL stats, you might get somewhere in your life, is the words he said. <laughs> if only there was an NFL GCSE, that would be, maybe there will be one day, that would be uh, a star for us. It, it, Mick Luckhurst is an interesting one because, and this is something I wanted to talk to you about as well. We've, we've definitely joked about this off, uh, you know, off camera, off, uh, off mic, but when we do the, the London games, the Wembley games, particularly specifically, the, our studios are, are next to each other with that, that makeup room essentially in between, right? So kind of holding room and yeah. you go to the right, it's Sky, to the left, it's the, it's the Channel 4 in the old days, the BBC, obviously more recently. And so there's that whole Anchorman, <laughs> Anchorman vibe going on anyway. But the, I, you must you often we share the same guest, right? So if they bring a guest up, it, Harry Connick Jr. will come and do 10 minutes with us, 10 minutes with you and that kind of thing. Did you, did you get Mick Luckhurst when he did it? And this might have been back when it was Channel 4. I know if you were doing that game, because, because obviously, you know, some games we do together, some day games are split. And I know Sky have been doing a lot of pitch side stuff. We, did you get Mick Luckhurst on? We, uh, so we were pitch side and I don't think we got Mick, but I'd worked with him, uh, the day before, uh, yep. we did a, uh, one of the NFL UK lives on the morning. Yeah, of the, right. The big events that they do around the games. Uh, I think it was in, uh, we were still in Trafalgar Square then. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Mick was, uh, quite a character, but I don't think we got him. I think we were doing it from the sidelines. You were in the studio that day. So I don't think. Yeah. We, I think we alternated certain guests. So we didn't get Mick on our show, but I did get to work with him quite a bit. Because um, I don't know if you felt the same, but I, and, and you'll, this will resonate with you. So when you get those guests coming up, and I mentioned like Harry Connick Jr., get, you know, stars like that, but also it could be Goodell, it could be Marshall Falk, Jim Kelly, I, I've gone on record many times as saying was my absolute favorite and a complete yeah. hero of mine for all kinds of reasons. And, and so you have this, it is surreal with all these, particularly the legends and the figures from when we were kids and growing up and, and in love with the game and now in front of you. But Luckhurst was one of the biggest for me for that reason that, and I looked out into that atrium or that, you know, that into that linking room between the studios, you know, through the cameras, past the cameras. 
and to see who's being made up. And it was Mick Luckhurst who just had this beaming smile and kind of winked over. I was like, bloody hell, Mick Luckhurst is about to come on the Channel 4 coverage. And that's how I, I fell in love with it back in the day. So Mick Luckhurst was maybe the most, uh, amongst the most starstruck out of all. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, um, so I'm not one for having a lot of photos with people. Right. That I do interviews with. So I like to, obviously a lot of the events that I do with NFL UK, they, they photograph it all. And I love to have the pictures, but I don't really ask for a photo with anyone. I've done it once in the whole time. That was when I was at uh, Joe Montana's house in San Francisco. So I don't really do it. But Mick Luckhurst was out at one of the training sessions uh, out of the Grove. I think we were out of the Grove. And um, I was chatting to Mick Luckhurst and Vernon. Mm. And Vernon was like, we've got to get a picture. picture." (laughs) And I was like, I was like, yeah, we, we, Mick, I'm sorry, but we've got to have a picture with you. And it, and it's, you're right. We've, we've interviewed Dan Marino, Jim Kelly, all these yeah. greats. And Mick Luckhurst as a player wouldn't be on that level. Mm. But I was the same as you. I was really excited. I was the same way when, um, when the Bucks came over and we had Brad Johnson. Yeah, uh, right. Alumni. And Brad was obviously the quarterback for the London Monarchs in 95. I used to go to all those games, loved watching Brad Johnson and, um, yeah, I was probably as excited about having Brad Johnson as I was about some of these uh, superstars of the league. It was um, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think. My the only time I've got that gone down that selfie route was Ric Flair at the most recent Super Bowl. That's when I finally yeah. finally succumbed. Like you see Flair, you're going. I, I went all in, all in on that. Yeah, I work with someone who's very close to Ric Flair anyway. Jeff Reinbold's got a bit of Ric Flair in him, so I don't need to meet oh. Ric. <laughs> That's you know, strangely enough. Jeff was was with me when it happened or he was he, he Jeff gave me the inspiration because he was you know uh, as obviously you know but for listeners when we're on Radio Row and uh, it's this you know constellation of all kinds of crews and we're all bouncing around there and doing our shows and doing this and that and and people like Rick Flair are just wandering past and and it was Jeff I saw this commotion of Flair and I kind of hesitated and I thought no and then Jeff piled straight in for the selfie and I thought right okay <laughs> if it's good enough for him I'm in there as well so he he would say if you ever if you ever see Rick Flair at the Super Bowl within a 30 meter radius around him somewhere will be Jeff Reinbold. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk you mentioned the monarch so you fell in love with the game were you were you always going to be and you started as a as a journalist and, and obviously transitioned into into, into a broadcast journalist and broadcasting and i, and I mm-hmm. definitely want to talk to you about that and and the differences and in, in between writing television and radio and and the live stuff you do as well but were you always going to be a, a, a journalist and, and particularly an nfl journalist or did you stumble into it so I, I wanted to be an NFL journalist and I started writing for, I did a couple of work experience stints with First Down in 91. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I worked for uh, Gridiron the first time around. There was a Gridiron magazine. I used yeah, to I write it, yeah. for them, 91, 92. Um, but I wasn't actually a qualified journalist then. So I was just kind of winging it. So I mm. actually went away and um, became a journalist working for a local newspaper. But I... All the while through my journalist training, I talked about um, getting back into American football and people kept saying to me, don't specialize too soon, don't specialize too soon. And so I qualified as a journalist in 96. Um, and by 97, I was working at first down, back at first down. So I always wanted to cover American football. Um, yeah, I actually got asked this question a, a few days ago about the transition into TV. Mm. Did I always want to be on TV? and 
that was a resounding no. I just wanted to work in the NFL or cover the NFL. So I started as a journalist, did three, those three years at first down, then six years at NFL Europe working for the league. And quite frankly, I would still be kind of would have been happy doing that had I not been laid off and made redundant. And then when I was laid off, I, I followed other avenues. And that's when the, I stumbled into the TV. I'm not one of those that just wanted to be on TV. I would work wherever, as long as it's covering the NFL. So it's yeah. more about the NFL than TV, you know? Yeah, which I think is, is absolutely should be the, is the right way around, right? And, uh, and our, cause we first worked together on radio, right? And you, yeah. had you done some TV by then or? Yes. Yeah, so I'd done, so we, we did what, 2009, 2010 seasons yeah. on yeah. BBC Radio 5 Live together. Yeah. Um, before that, I'd started doing some TV stuff, uh, a little bit of overnight on Sky 2006. Then around two, 2007, 2008, I was always doing Monday night football overnight. So um, I was kind of a regular there on all the stuff overnight that no one else wanted to do. So um, I've done that for a few years. But, um, yeah, it's interesting because when you think about it, I didn't appear on TV till 2006. I'd already been writing about the NFL since 91. So people think you just kind of pop up on TV. That was 15 yeah. years. And I didn't get full time on Sky until 2011. That was 20 years after I started writing. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, let's talk about that, the writing and the broadcasting. And you're still a prolific writer, of course, despite all, you know, the additional broadcasting and, and podcasting you're doing as well. Do you, is it, is it your first love or have you, is it, can you look at it in those binary terms? Because I came to writing later. I was the other way around, right? So I, you know, when it was a presenter first and foremost, having, you know, cut my teeth for, for quite a few years on, you know, doing stand up and, and kind of bouncing around that. And so, I, but in terms of writing about the NFL, I, I did it the other way around. I got, I guess, established as a, as a broadcaster and, and then wrote, uh, latterly, but I love, I love writing. I always wanted to do it, but it, but it came to me late. So the other way around and I can't choose and say I prefer this one to that one i like them both for different reasons what about you with the, is the, the course and the trajectory that you've gone through and writing being at the core of of your professional career how do you look at the differences and let's throw in live performance as well because you have a lot of fun when you do the live shows the live nfl shows they are that's one thing that really comes across i remember when we first worked together i was i surprised is maybe the wrong word but i hadn't we hadn't really hung out much before other than seeing each other at events then we started doing shows together i realized early on you got a great sense of humor and that was really coming across in the broadcast and that really comes across in all the nfl uk live stuff particularly i think as well yeah i think you're more so i think when you look at all three i think if if you were to ask me which one would i be happy to sit and do when i'm retired I'd, i would write for a hobby you know I yeah. would, so, so there is a love for writing there i, I do love writing um, my preview magazines, I love writing every, every week still. Um, I think I'd write a lot more if obviously I wasn't doing the broadcasting, you had a lot more time, you know, so, yeah. so I think writing is a, is a true love there. Um, I think with the live shows, I think I've really enjoyed those. I love bouncing off of the fans. I love, and there's only so much you can do with your, your sense of humor in a, in a studio when you've got 30 right. seconds to hit a link and then get to the next feature. There's only so much you can do there. And it's so true. We were chatting, Tom Deacon was on uh, a recent show uh, who of course has made his name as a stand up and, and, and transitioned to presenting. We were talking about stand up during the lockdown and yeah. how one of the big problems with it, uh, with 
comics doing shows from home is there is quite obviously no audience to feed off in the same way and the importance and the energy that an audience creates and you really feel that don't you when you can contrast a studio show which has an energy of itself with with your guests of course but it, but it's different versus a live show where there is that there is just so much you can feed off from from what is happening in the room yeah I, and, and i really enjoy the live shows because again you're out with the people i think i've said this many times different different interviews in the studio yes you bounce off your guests but also you um you're just looking at a red light above a camera so yeah. i love being out there interacting with the fans um kind of being having some sort of you know quick one-liners but also being a bit more risque you know I think yeah 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 push, yeah. The, push the envelope a little bit and, and i think you know i think one of the things with with british fans or with british people in general we like to take the mickey out of each other and mm. we like to take the mickey out of uh players and teams and stuff like that so I, I i do enjoy that with the live shows and um yeah it's just very they're very different because you do have to have a a bit more discipline a bit more structure i try and bring it into uh our sky stuff and sometimes you're with people that i think if i go through a rotation of guests right on sky right quite a lot. it depends who you're with for sure and also they don't want to be the ones cracking the jokes necessarily and so I am sometimes the one that will do that, whereas yes. really want them to ideally do it and then you react as the presenter. But sometimes I kind of lead the silliness because it's three o'clock in the morning and we're watching the divisional round of the playoffs and we've got to be up in five hours and, you know, you, you just got to enjoy it and relax into it. So, um, but they so are very much so. Particularly those, I remember people talking about the, the difference at the time when, when Carson and I were doing that, you know, the late night shows and, one of the, the luxuries we had, I guess, was, and I compare that to, say, you know, the, the London games and, and other, other things I've done at different times. The, the luxury of doing that late night show, which you've now, you know, experienced for a fair bit with Sky, it, 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 it is a different dynamic. You can get away with more. There is just a different mindset to it because you know that it's not completely the hardcore following, but obviously the hardcore are definitely there. And I think particularly the, the new, fan or the more casual fan that has stumbled across it you want them to be in the mix as well and not feel excluded and it's too cliquey so entertainment and having fun with it is a really good way good way of doing that and a late night gig gives you the license to do that i always loved that about the, the late night channel five channel four shows was that we had that freedom to be able to go in so many different ways and then have fun and, and that's really coming across and i think you know obviously the inclusion of, of, of greg and the around the nfl boys has given that dimension to sky it's just it's a lot of fun mm. you could just uh, also i mean i don't think they'd ever go this far but um it's sunday night people it's the end of the weekend people are sitting with their feet up i mean i don't think it would go down that terribly with the fans if we went full Badil and skinner fantasy football and yeah, had right. up on the desk in yeah. our jeans i mean it's that and, and okay they're never going to go for that because there's a certain style but mm. The vibe should be that, really, that we're just totally. sitting down, chilling at the end of the weekend, and we're all watching the sport we love. Yeah, and I, I love that and uh, about the NFL community full stop, and, and you've been involved in it, as you say, for, God, 30 years now, pretty much. It's, it's such, it is a real community, isn't it, that in the UK, that there is a sense of, yeah, you and I do what we do and have been lucky enough to, to do it for a career, and Jeff and Mike and everybody else, but we're all fans, and, we're, and I think that that's what connects us with, the, the, the fans when we're doing our, our work and our broadcasts is that 
first and foremost, yeah, we have a job to do. We've got to present or give analysis, steer the conversation, whatever it might be. But ultimately, we're all watching this thing together. And I think the nature of NFL in particular, because it keeps breaking, because it keeps coming back to you, because you can react so quickly to what's going on, unlike football, where it's here's the pregame, there's 45 minutes, halftime, 45 minutes, full time. It, it just creates much more a sense of community that we're, we're all in it together. It, it does, because you know, if you take a football match, you could have the most polished presenter who has a passing knowledge or interest in football. Mm. And, and that's not the case. I'm not saying that's the case, but you could, and you could script out everything. Here's your yeah. pregame show. Here's halftime. Here's postgame. Let your pundits do the work. Mm. We're different because, we, like you say, so on Sky, they come back to us every every 10 minutes, really. It's the same on the BBC. It's the yeah. same. You know, every ad break, you're filling. You're so you, you can't just put in what I would call a TV person. Yeah, no you chance. Have, you have to have a knowledge of it. You have to be able to take the conversation anywhere, anytime, and you have to you have to love it. You have to mm. be able to show that passion as well. So I think we are a little bit different. Um, and so we're then we're we're more a part of the community. So yes. I'll turn up at, I'll turn up at a tailgate on a Sunday morning outside Wembley Stadium, and I'll know the first five or six guys that are going to be in the front row. And yeah. I'll go to NFL UK live, and I'll walk over mm-hmm. and I'll say hello to this one, hello to that one. And I guess that's a, we're lucky in a way that we can do that because we're not massive to the point of a rich eyes and NFL network, NFL in America. So mm-hmm. actually it's, it's a really cool position to be in as one of the presenters, because you still are, I think, um, have a foot in the ground with the fans. You, you and, and again, you watch the game with Dolphins fans. We, we watch the games, you know, we, we, we cheer the same way. People say, what do you do in the studio? I said, we sit in every, every game. We're looking yeah. one way or the other at it. We're cheering about touchdowns. We're out of our seat. That's 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 just being a fan. We're just in a different seat. Yeah, that's it. That's well put. Speaking of you know the games and the broadcast element of it, who's your favourite commentary crew, either of all time or, or right now? It could be can be either or both. But uh, I'm very much Michael's Collinsworth, and and I guess that's probably significantly because you know pretty much throughout all of, of my career with it and, and the late night, you know, from, from day one, you know, for years and years, they were the voices al- alongside me. And so I guess I have that sentimental connection, but just in terms of, I mean, and Michael's is, is br- just br- everything I want in uh, an American sports anchor and, uh, uh, and Collins, but they just work so well together. They bounce off each other. They're so, so they've worked together so long. So that familiarity is the simpatico is just, so so fluent and so on point. So they're my they're my top two. What about you? So back in the day, I would say Madden and Summerall were kind of the yeah. ones that I grew up with. And again, you talk about the passion and excitement and what they brought. And Madden was this kind of had all the sayings and all the phrases and boom and this and that and getting excited. And then Summerall would just be the kind of straight man. Um, I'm with you now. I think I think Al Michaels and and Chris Collinsworth are the are the the gold standard, and and it amazes me. It's funny because sometimes I think you, know, you go into the studio with all these stats, and you're going with, "Well, I better have this one up my sleeve, and I better drop this one." And I think sometimes as well, you you may I maybe do that because I'm a British guy trying to, yeah, you, I know what I'm talking about or whatever. Yes. Actually, you don't. 
sometimes I listen to what Al Michaels says, and I think if I just said that in the studio, I'd get hammered. People yes. be like, you don't know, you're, but you'd just be like, and we're in New Orleans tonight, and Drew Brees, of course, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. <laughs> that's all he says. Yeah, and yeah. he says, up Collinsworth, and away you go. And I'm like, he actually doesn't say, like, Al Michaels doesn't reinvent the wheel when he's commentating, mm. but he's just got such a great way about him, such an yeah. authority that you don't actually have to overcomplicate it. It's a great lesson, actually, that you can just just give the basic information and then let your pundit go and fill in all the all the gaps. It, it, mm. And so that's why I think he is he's the best in the business. And I, I totally agree with that. And I think the understated, uh, you know, in, in this case, obviously, he's a kind of hybrid anchor, obviously, at the top of the shows and in between, but, but ultimately, you know, is, is calling play by play, but it, the, with the expert, the analyst uh, alongside him, whichever way you cut that. So whether it is, a, you know, a live game commentary booth or whether it is a studio booth like you and I do, I, I couldn't agree more that I've always been a, a champion and a believer and have been influenced massively by, by those anchors, by those, front men that are understated with it and that doesn't mean that and i think you have to let your personality come through and that that's part of the trick isn't it where you've got to find that balance where you're not overbearing with it uh because that's why the analysts are there but at the same time you can't just be an interchangeable and you know anonymous uh persona either and, and michael's you're right is the blueprint the absolute blueprint for that what is your favorite nfl movie of all time uh if you say Wildcats, I'll think even more of you. <laughs> Come on, it's Wildcats, isn't it? I do, I do frustrate people whenever they ask me this question because I don't like that many of them. Right, so, fair enough. Because I just, I don't know, I just, I just don't, I guess, here's why. It's draft day, it's draft day, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's not that. I mean, it probably, it probably is the original, what's it called, the longest yard, the meme machine or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I honestly don't watch many of them, and I think this is the reason. I watch so much NFL. Yeah, it's the last <laughs> thing you want to watch. <laughs> I live yeah. so much NFL. Yeah. I write so much NFL. So when people, for what people would then do in their spare time and their hobbies mm. would be to go and watch the NFL, the last thing I want to watch is an <laughs> NFL more, film. Is more NFL. <laughs> you watch ballers? Have you watched Ballers? I haven't, see? So I need to mm. watch that. And I actually, I, that has been recommended to me about five times by friends who have no interest in the NFL. This is it. And I think this is, this is the point with a lot of it. I, I'm, I'm kind of with you as well, that actually I've gone off the boil with ballers for that reason, that when it comes down to, right, okay, I've got, I've got some downtime. Yeah. I want to watch something completely away from what I've just been doing for, for, you know, the, the, the majority of the day. So I was going to ask on that because it draft day, you presumably you've seen draft day, right? <laughs> you've watched I've it. I've only seen bits of it. Okay, I've, I've so, worked- I know I worked an event with Wade Phillips around the draft when that film came out. Yes. We watched, uh, we watched a couple of bits of it, but I'm still not to this day seeing it. Is it not very good? It's extraordinary. It's not even bad. So it's good. Sharknado style. So it's, uh, I was hoping, and I look, I'm a big, a big Costa fan. I like a lot of the cast. Dennis Leary is, is, was one of my, you know, comedy heroes. And he's a, he's quite a polarizing character because a lot of people think, uh, he ripped off Bill Hicks, who was a contemporary of his, and so he's not highly thought of in, in the comedy world. But uh, I will, you know, be the contrarian that he's a brilliant stand-up and incidentally, no cure for cancer. If uh, you go and look that up, I think it's all of it is on YouTube. It's his breakthrough stand-up show is incredible. Anyway, he plays the coach. He plays a kind of grizzled 
uh, a, a coach who is in conflict with Costa's GM. The best thing about it is the opening, the opening scene when the Seahawks have the first overall pick and it's the day of draft day when it's the morning of draft day. <laughs> they got the number one overall pick and their GM and uh, presumably the team owner or some other colleague are discussing what they're going to do with the pick. <laughs> so they've never had the conversation before. So you've got Le- Leary's coaching that. I was going to, I was going to ask you, Pacino. To be fair, there's a few teams that have done that over the years. <laughs> sure. It was the Cleveland Browns as well, actually. He's using them. So, um, the, the Pacino head coach in any given Sunday. I was going to ask you to, to, who would you rather be coached by? But if you haven't watched draft day, then, then no, forget no. about that. Who I would you rather? What- Sorry, I just was going to say, I'd prefer to watch, so I really enjoy the, um, I do watch these in my own time. I enjoy the, the last chance you, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the QB1, uh, ones as well on Netflix. Yeah, I, think, Netflix. I think they're fantastic. I'd rather watch those and I actually prefer those to things like Hard Knocks or All or Nothing because I think they're just a bit grittier. Yeah, I know what you mean. And I think I, I definitely, I don't know where I'm at with Hard Knocks now. Like, I will obviously, what is going to happen with Hard Knocks this year, actually? Are they going to, are they going to be able to make a hard knocks this year? I'm not sure they are. I mean, I don't think, uh, I don't think at the moment. I mean, I think they, they can't plan on anything like that because what's training camp? I mean, wh- whenever they decide to open up the league, yes. they're going to have to have a training camp period, aren't they? So maybe they get it in then, but you know, who knows? We may be looking at training camp in September and a kickoff in October. I mean, we're in such uncharted territory that we are literally putting a finger in the air and guessing. What do you think will happen if there is an opportunity to play the season behind closed doors? The NFL presumably will go for that. Fans will go for it initially, but do you think there is a danger with that? That if, if we're, you know, week 11, whenever the hell that is of games behind closed doors, will we've got used to it? Will the, will it have really impacted our enjoyment of the game? I think, I think people will go for it because I think it'd be so desperate for sport and so desperate for, um, you know, that NFL to take centre stage and have that. So I think would I think people would be okay with that. I think NFL has always been a TV business. You mm. know, and when he was the head coach for the 49ers, Jim Tom Sula once told me, he just said that, you know, the 60,000 people that are in the stadium are just backdrop, they're wallpaper. They're wallpaper for the NFL and it's all about the TV uh, business. So I, I still but they, think... But they connect totally, don't they? That the TV product is it's incredibly enhanced by those 60,000 people. That it's I a, agree. It, it, it really diminishes the... If you look at it that way, and I get it, and I get the money side of it as well, for sure, is weighted that way, but it, it becomes a very different product and therefore a very different TV proposition without the fans. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And, and maybe... Maybe people would watch as a novelty for mm. for a while, but you know you got to get fans back in there. So yeah, there's no doubt it's going to be different, but there's I, there's also no doubt in my mind if that's the option that the NFL has, they're going to take that. They're going to get on the field and they're going to get they're going to get the NFL out to the worldwide TV, TV audiences. So, um, mm. but yeah, it does impact. You go to Seattle, you know, you go to Kansas City; those are different places. Uh, with no stadium noise, you go right. to the Super Bowl. It's just a, it's just a different vibe. So I don't know how they pull it off. Um, but you know, I don't think they're going to slow down if they can play those games. Do they have to work out, do you think, when it would be safe to ensure that a Super Bowl could be played in front of fans before they push the, the, the button on the go date for the season? In other words, yeah, yeah. it, 
could work for uh, for argument's sake to use your example an October start date behind closed doors, but then you roll out 17 weeks playoffs. I don't know if we're going to get a be able to play a Super Bowl in front of fans at the end of March or whatever it, whatever it is. Would that force the NFL's hand to delay things until they know the Super Bowl is going to be in front of fans? I think the Super Bowl has to be in front of fans. Mm. You know, I think that's the, I, I would agree with you on that. I think you work out if you know, if you know when that's going to be and you work backwards from that. I, you know, I do think they have, and there's not been that much until recently muted about, uh, potentially pushing the season back, but they do have a long old off season. Yeah. So there's a way of doing that. There's wiggle room on the back end. Um, you know, they would make a massive, massive deal of it if the Super Bowl was the first game that was open to the public. My yeah. God, can you, can you be the Imagine. biggest Super Bowl of all, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be. And what a celebration that would be yeah. for everyone coming out of here. Um, so that, I agree with you that you know, I get, I'm kind of making the case for being able to play behind closed doors, but you can't play the Super Bowl that way. You have to have fans in the stadium for that big show. So thinking about the, the off season, if they can get it together, I think it would make a fascinating hard knocks. It'd be really, really interesting that the, the phase when, and I, but I don't know if this would work in terms of timing, but to have all of the stuff that's going on now in terms of virtual meetings and how rookies are getting on board and everything else done in a completely unorthodox fashion, I think would make, if they could work out a way of filming it, which I'm sure they could, would be really, really interesting. Yeah, I'd hope that they, because I, th- I bet the teams are already putting that in. Yeah, they're, they're already videoing mm. that stuff when they're on their virtual workouts, all of that. So, um, so I would hope that they, um, you know, whoever gets hard knocks, that gets included because that is such a big element of this off season. Just how yeah. how you work with your players, how young rookies, how do they how do they get ready for the season? You know, how are veterans staying in shape on their own? Mm. Uh, how do you learn stuff? Um, so anything that has uh, anything that has a hard knocks, if there is one, has to include that this year for sure. I want to get one. Uh current football question in for you on this because uh, as I said at the very top of the show we dropped this uh, a recording this I should say at the end of April and dropping it a little bit later so might be stories that might have broken that, mm-hmm. one of the reasons we haven't covered it but Jordan Love to the Packers I want to get your take on it because it, it hasn't even divided opinion I think everybody most people anyway are really baffled by it because the Packers are in a win now situation but I was hearing a really interesting argument that a friend of the show, Ross Tucker, was giving uh, on his pod about the succession plan the Packers are obviously looking at. And they are like no other franchise, really. And you look at the Favre to Rogers transition, how long they've had a, a franchise quarterback, more longer than any other team in the NFL other than obviously the, the Patriots with Brady, right? So if they felt it, that Jordan Love is the guy, and presumably they have that conviction to take him in the first round, to reach up for him in the first round, then it's an incredibly savvy pick, isn't it? Because, yes, they might compromise what they can do right now, but if they're going to buy, and I know it's a big if, 10-plus years of a, of a similar-level quarterback, they, if they believe that, then you can't criticize them for the pick, can you? I get that argument, and I, and I had the same argument made to me uh by Bucky Brooks from NFL mm. Network, who said, you know, they could go for 30 years of, of, or 30 plus years of, of solid quarterback or great quarterback play if Jordan Love is who they think he is. Yeah. I get that. I get the 
protecting of the franchise, but I think everyone's forgetting how bitter the transition from Favre to Rogers was. Mm. And all that, all that transition brought, and I say all that because that's, it's, some teams would kill for this. It's brought one Super Bowl victory for Aaron Rodgers. Mm. There was such bitterness that they didn't talk to each other, Favre and Rodgers, for years and years before they kind of had a reconciliation. Um, and I said to Bucky, I said, yeah, I get the whole roster building thing, and that's why you go for Jordan Love. But Bucky, you're also a head coach at the high school level, and mm. coaching's about relationships. And now there is no way Matt LaFleur can sell any of this to Aaron Rodgers. You can't sell right. Jordan Love as an insurance policy. Mm. He's not. What you're selling to Rodgers there is any successful future with Jordan Love is a future without you. And I know Rogers, and I know him as a person, and and he can be sensitive, and he can be prickly, and he can be outspoken. And apparently, some of the reports you read, the Packers have had enough of that, and that's mm. why they're trying to change this narrative with the the drafting of Jordan Lux, maybe mm. to put Aaron Rodgers on notice. But you know, I, I think Packers fans generally have felt like his team has wasted the opportunity to put talent around him. And and if we look back at the entire Aaron Rodgers time in Green Bay and it produced one Super Bowl win, I'd say they wasted a lot of Aaron Rodgers' talent. This this does nothing to help Aaron Rodgers. Mm. This does nothing to help him. And I'd go further than that. I think it's a great point that obviously Rodgers is the most affected by this for for the fact they've they've, uh, drafted someone in his position, the fact that that pick could have been somebody on his offense to help him get over the line, which is clearly needed by by the Packers right now. But I talk about the other vets or the other captains, the other leaders, heavyweights on that team. They're going to got to feel the same thing. They're all in the win-now situation too. They don't necessarily care about what happens four years down the line. Most of them probably won't be Packers players in four years. No, so Rosters change so quickly on right. two, three-year cycles. You, if you're Christian Kirksey, who's just gone to the Green Bay Packers, and you... Uh, you're, you're six, seven years into your career. You know, you're, you're probably fortunate to get a 10 year career. So he wants to win now. That's just yeah. a player who's not that old as well. Yeah. So I feel like it doesn't help them at all. Um, and I think I get it from a roster building point of view for the future and safeguarding your future. But mm. I just think you've pulled the rug out from under, um, under your franchise player. And, and I, and I just don't get it. I think it was a, I think it was a, um, an unusual move, and then they, they put pressure on them to do something with the rest of the draft, which they didn't do. And so I was very, very surprised by the whole weekend. For the We're the first rounder as well. You could just about squeeze. I mean, uh, the Jalen Hurts Philly thing is a different situation. I, I kind of like that pick a lot more. But even had yeah, sneaking a, a you know a third, fourth rounder, you can just about get away with that narrative. But to, to reach up in the first round, that's going to be a hard sell. But that first uh, all Packers. Uh, Team Zoom meeting for Matt Lafleur is going to be going to be an interesting one. Um, two more before we get out of Dodge. The you mentioned Aaron Rodgers suggesting, uh, and by no means the first, that he can be a, a tricky customer. I got asked this in an interview the other day. The hardest, the hardest interview I'd ever done in terms of, and it actually wasn't any fault of his own or any reflection on his character. But my answer was Amari Cooper because. It was when the Raiders were here a couple of years ago, so just before he got dealt. And it was uh, the, a day that I was at the Packers training camp and had had a, 
a great sit down with Tyler Lockett. Great in the sense that we had loads of time. It was uh, really relaxed, uh, interesting setting outdoors, obviously where, you know, near where training was going on. Uh, he was a great interview, very erudite, really on the upper trajectory. The whole Seahawks organization just had so much positivity and buzz about them. And this was the first Gruden Raiders season, which I think it's fair to say was the diametric opposite at the time. <laughs> and zipped over, you might well have been there or both, either or both, but their presser at the Hilton near the hotel, uh, sorry, near Wembley, which was, um, fractious to say the least. It started early and everything else. And, uh, Gruden was frustrated and prickly and everything else. And I got a message on my WhatsApp from, uh, our friend, uh, David Tossel to say he, I, I've got him, he's ready for the interview. So looks over at my producer, like, got who? Like, no. And there'd been a breakdown of communication. We hadn't been told that I was meant to be interviewing Amari Cooper. So I had no idea it was interview. We had to break out. I had to get my question in for Gruden, which, which, cause we were filming that, which yeah. was, uh, I, I threw a kind of curveball or not curveball, but a, a fairly direct question about, is this a, a free hit season? Cause he's got a 10 year gig. So his job is pretty safe. Uh, hoping he'd take the bait. And he kind of did. He saw his eyes kind of glint, but he kind of straight batted it back. The duck out round the corner. And in one of those odd conference, uh, or those rather anodyne conference rooms in a, in a hotel was, I didn't even know who I was interviewing. Right? You know, was Amari Cooper. And it's like, okay. And bless him. He was not the most forthcoming of, <laughs> of characters, clearly not in a happy place with the Raiders for which 48 hours later became incredibly apparent. And it was just pulling teeth. I mean, my God. Uh, and I had to think of the fly as well. Like, okay, what am I going to ask him? But that, that's part of the gig. So Amari Cooper was my most awkward, uh, fractious, difficult interview. What was yours? What's the hardest, hardest one you've done? So you won't be surprised to learn it would be Bill Belichick. Uh, <laughs> so 2009 summer, uh, at training camp with the Patriots and, um, we, I got the one on one with Belichick because they were coming over to play in, in London. Right. And I got, um, so I'm sitting in a tent. I don't know if you've been to Patriots training camp. Yeah. 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 In fact, we interviewed Belichick. We did, um, the year before it must have been 2008, summer 2008. We did, we, we went there and, and, because, you know, Carlson was at college with him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Carlson, uh, it was, you know, so you're, we must have been in exactly the same, the media room, all the jaded beat writers. And we were, we were, um, so what, you know, what are you doing out here? What are you doing? We explained with getting lots of color pieces for the season. And, oh, we're going to do an interview with, with Coach Belichick. And they were just laughing, going, yeah, sure you are. He's not good. He doesn't do any one-on-one. So they said, oh, yeah. I, I think he's going to do an interview because my, um, my co-host went to college with him. They looked at me like I was, who is this kid? Like, what is going on? And then sure enough, we get wheeled out to the back to do this interview with Belichick. Yeah. So, so yeah, I know, I know the place well. So we're, I'm sitting in the tent above the end zone watching training camp and I'm right up against the sort of canvas edge of the tent, but it's only a thin tent. And the PR guy from the Patriots is the other side of the tent talking to one of his staff members. Yeah. What a pain in the ass. Got these guys from England. (laughs) And I'm doing, I'm trying to do that. (laughs) Literally three inches away from you and you're slagging me off. Amazing. So then, so I'm already laughing about that feeling really welcome to be in New England. And yeah, then, right. uh, they basically rushed us, all the training camp fields are outside. They rushed us inside the stadium, made me stand on the 50 yard line at Gillette Stadium. And then Belichick comes in. And of course it's like, oh, God. 
it's yeah. like blood out, blood out of a stone. I'm trying to get him to, I'm trying to get a line on Brady being one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And he's like, yeah, Tom's pretty good. We're happy to have him. And so <laughs> then in 2012, this is brilliant. I went back. I went back to the Patriots and I didn't get Belichick that time. So I got Belichick first time, not Brady. Second time I got Brady, not Belichick. But the day before we did Brady, we did everyone else. We did Gronk. Um, I think it was uh, Wes Welker, mm-hmm. um, Vince Wilfork. We interviewed them in the toilets. <laughs> I kid you not, they set us up in Why? the toilets. Why? They set us up in the toilets. Well, I think because that's the whole <laughs> level of respect I had from the New England. Good acoustics. Is it the same PR guy? I remember you. <laughs> <laughs> it was. <laughs> but that was that is that is great. The um, the, I, I, I remember being. I think it was the same. It was the same trip actually that I was just talking about. We also went to Albany for Giants training camp, and that was when. And Carlson dines out on this one. Loves reminding me at, at every opportunity uh, when we were. I kind of veered onto the field to record a link. And practice stopped and Coughlin <laughs> basically stopped. Who is that idiot? Get him off my field. <laughs> this is my hard story. way. Yeah, I like the hard way. Uh, one more for you before we let you go, Neil. Uh, we had Stig Abel on the show quite recently recommending books to read in, in this lockdown period when we want to feed our minds and, and keep distracted. And it was, it, he was great and had some wonderful suggestions. You must have a whole ton of, of books to, uh, that you can recommend. What would be, you know, your, your favorites to, to recommend to our listeners to get into right now? So I think anything from uh, Jeff Perlman, mm. uh, who wrote uh, the most recent one was about the whole story of the USFL in the 80s. But right. um, my favorite is um, his kind of biography of Brett Favre. And it's a great piece of journalism because he tells you everything you need to know about Favre without speaking to Favre. Mm. And he speaks to but but he, he says I, I interview about four hundred people, including his all his coaches, his sister, his mum mm. and dad. Um, so it was really interesting that it was everyone apart from the man it's about. Um, mm. I love that one. So anything Jeff Perlman, he wrote a biography on Walter Payton as well, which was actually quite controversial. Um, so yeah, check he, out. He, um, he did the, the boys, boys, boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, great writer. So, um, yeah, anything NFL-wise by Jeff Perlman would be my recommendation. Great shout. Love that. A fine way to wrap up the show. One more time there, Neil Reynolds podcast. Listen to that down like that. So you mentioned Peter King's up next. Have you got any others you can reveal in the pipeline? Uh, I am – no, because I haven't got the final yes yet. Actually, I'll tell you something. I've pre-recorded some. So I've pre-recorded, Amari Cooper. <laughs> yeah, no, I've pre-recorded Brian Balding. Uh, uh, Balding, Network. Uh, Cliff Averill, mm. uh, I've done a couple of the NF- around the NFL guys, Dan Hansus, Chris Westlin, um, but I'm actually uh, big game hunting at the moment. So I've got a couple of really big, really big names that are having a nibble, uh, but uh, nothing committed yet. So good time uh, to get them, I guess, right now, isn't it? You yeah, know. they're not going. They can't. Yeah, exactly, they're, exactly. they're out. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, congrats with it, mate. It's, it's great to see, and it's great to see it's doing so well, and you're doing so well. Thanks for dropping by and uh, and chatting to to me and catching up with us, and we'll catch up with you soon. I hope. Yeah, my pleasure, and stay safe. 
lovely stuff. Uh, as I say, lots of pods coming your way. More chats where that came from. Carlson's coming up soon. We're going to uh, check in with J-Bell. A lot of your favorites over the coming weeks and months. The NC show rolling thick and fast. That is where you follow us on social media, incidentally. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, lots of extra stuff going out on there as well. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us. Leave a nice review because you know the drill by now. It makes Harry, the producer, a very happy man. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network.